You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Banner Church. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. I, uh, I'm excited this morning. Man, a lot of good things happen. A lot of good things happening in December. Um, I'm excited for the block party. I'm excited to do things outside. So um, if you're a person that, you know, you're not sure how, how exactly you're distancing, we really want to be respectful of that. And so we're outside. So there's a lot of opportunity to be engaged, but still distanced, right? Distance, but not distant, right? So uh, we want to encourage you to come and just celebrate with us. And uh, I think it's going to be a really good time, but there's a lot of good things going on. Like Katie mentioned, um, we had our Love the Block group, which is probably one of my favorite small groups I've ever done. And uh, one of the last big things we did is we gave out 55 turkey dinners uh, to our neighborhood, and it was a blast. We had so much fun doing it, and my kids would come, and man, it, it was just honestly one of the most rewarding things. But what I love about it is it's an extension of all of you engaging in the mission of Christ together. That if you're a part of this church and you give faithfully, then it wasn't just Katie and our team handing them out. It was you handing them out too. Because though you might not have been there physically in person, you are a part of what God is doing in this city. And so every joyful testimony, every card we received, every, you know, handwritten thing from a child, every family that that says thank you for just giving me hope this season, someone loving on me. Did you know that you're a part of that? And I think that that's pretty cool, that you can go in to December as a church saying, we're all different parts of the body of Christ, and yet the body of Christ is moving and seeing God do some awesome things. Amen? Amen. So we got some wild ideas for, uh, for 2021 in our uh, small group. Or I, you're just looking at me. I have some wild ideas. Um, <laughs> I apparently have not told her uh, <laughs> about them. But next week, or th- this Saturday, actually, we have our toy drive. And I really want to encourage you a couple ways. Katie mentioned it, but we need more toys. This is a year of great need, so I want to encourage you. If you're online, I know many people are joining us from all over. I want to encourage you to continue to give faithfully. We have received that. We have a team who's actually going to go out and purchase toys toys this week uh, at, you know, different places. So we aren't the people with the pallet at Walmart. They're starting to notice us. And let me tell you, when there's a pandemic and people are hoarding goods, it's not a great look uh, <laughs> to be buying 85 cans of sweet potatoes. But anyways, we're fine. You know, just push that deep down. No, um, but it's going to be amazing. So I really encourage you two things. One, give toys. You're like, I don't know if I can get here before Saturday, before the event. Fine. Bring them Saturday to the event and then serve. I'll do you a deal. I'll give you a shirt. Hey, people like free stuff. Um, isn't that funny? It's like, serve your kingdom. Ah, no, a free shirt. Oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> but uh, no, well, uh, well yeah, we, we're going to have a blast Saturday. It's going to be super fun. Um, man, lots of good things happening in December. I do want to take a second before I get started to just honor a couple people that are here from uh, my hometown. And that's, I know, I was trying to define who these people are in my life beforehand. I was like, oh, yeah, like pastor, mentor, friend. But it's kind of all of those things. And I just want to honor Christian and Jen and Rachel and John who are joining us here today from Washington. People who I think have been so instrumental for uh, Katie and mine, in our life and our development. So we love you. Thank you for on your vacation coming to church here with us. So I know you hated that, but it has to happen because honor is one of our core values. So, um, But we're going to start a new series. I know we have talked about angels and demons for like eight weeks, but Christmas is here. So 
We're not talking about demons anymore, but I really encourage you, if you missed any of it, go back and uh, watch it, because as Jamin might agree, it took us a lot of work to do, so <laughs> please go watch them. Uh, it was a blast doing it, but I'm, I'm a little excited to shift a little bit, if I'm going to be honest. Um, it's, there's only so many weeks you can research demons, and eventually you're like, here we go, another one. But, um, but we're going to shift today to our series called The Greatest Gift. But because my personality is just twisted like this, I thought we would start by talking about the worst gift you've ever received. <laughs> I asked him for a service, someone raise your hand and say the worst gift you've ever received. And Haven raised her hand and said, a dustpan. And I was not expecting that. So I'm curious, does any, <laughs> it's like so mundane and like terrible simultaneously. It's just something about that so perfect. Not a dustpan and a broom, just a dustpan. So perfect. Oh yeah, Gilly. <laughs> we got some, some of you, you're very practical gift givers. You're like, oh, actually, you know what? I need that. Um, <laughs> I'm curious though, does anyone feel like they can beat dustpan really quick with something they got, the worst gift ever on Christmas? Dustpan, no one can beat it. No one can beat dustpan. Jake, come on. T but no TV? Okay, well, <laughs> that's pretty close. That just feels insulting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. One time my, my buddy got um, a copy. He wanted uh, Transformers on DVD because uh, he was a big Megan Fox fan. And uh, <laughs> he, he ended up... <laughs> he, I, I, so Transformers is this movie about these robots. Never mind. You guys can look it up later. People are confused. Um, but he got instead the less hard-hitting classic Transmorphers. <laughs> and I can tell you from having witnessed both movies, one was slightly, not a lot, slightly better than the other one. And uh, <laughs> don't watch Transmorphers. It's not a good movie. Um, <laughs> But uh, I thought I would uh, read you some stories. I looked up worst gifts ever given, and some of these were just my favorite. And since this is my sense of humor, I will share it with you today as well. So I want to read you the worst gift I ever received. A couple stories. Worst gift I ever received was the year the Nintendo 64 came out. Ooh. It was all me and my brothers wanted for Christmas. We rented the system from Blockbuster every chance we got. How many of you guys remember Blockbuster? You guys remember that? It was great. You go in, try to find the movie. You hope the title was behind the title that you wanted. Then you would ask the 16-year-old kid who had no idea what was going on. If they had the title, they would go check. You would never see them again. They would just leave the country with whatever movie you're trying. It's like so surprising that business model didn't make it. Uh, but Blockbuster, okay. So it says, uh, every chance we got, we ran into Blockbuster. Fast forward to Christmas morning, and a Nintendo box is under the tree. We thought maybe my parents had gotten us a used one or something. We were beyond excited to open it up. So as we saw the tag was from our grandparents who were very anti-video games. And we thought maybe they came around. Maybe it's a Christmas miracle. So on Christmas morning, we popped open the lid. And sitting inside was a beautiful typewriter. An electric typewriter. My grandfather thought we could use it to work on our typing skills, but really all three of us were devastated. Yes. Don't pull a fast one. Worst gift I ever received is my, aunt's one, my aunt once sent me, or aunt, depending on where you're from, once sent me a gift that was a Walmart gift card for $10. Good. It was mostly empty and had a balance of like 53 cents. Okay. Worst gift I ever received was fake M&Ms from the dollar store. They were lentils covered in chocolate that came in a plastic tube. <laughs> 
that was a sibling. Can we just be honest and say, that was a sibling? Like, sorry, sis, love you. Fake lentils. If you find those, please bring them. I'm giving it to one of you guys for Christmas. Worst gift I ever received was my mother gave me a book for Christmas that I gave to her for her birthday a year before. I, she acted as though she purchased it for me, but I had written a note in it to her, so I knew it was the copy I gave to her. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Worst gift I ever received is my wife and kids gave me some socks I ordered from Amazon for myself. They intercepted the box when it was delivered and wrapped them up for me on Christmas morning. <laughs> I was surprised. Okay. <laughs> this one, sorry. This is, this is, you're going to just sense my terrible sense of humor. Please don't leave the church book. The worst gift I ever received was I got a chemistry set for a birthday when I was a kid. I used it once, then it mysteriously disappeared, and I never knew what happened to it. A few months later, and a few weeks before Christmas, the police knocked on the door. Turns out my ex-stepfather went full breaking bad with it, and the police have been tracking his activity for months. <laughs> It's not funny. <clears throat> we'll move on. Last year, <laughs> I got a plaid. Sorry. <sighs> Last year, I got a plaid shirt for my birthday, but it didn't fit. I don't live at home, and I was leaving the next day, so I asked my mom to return the shirt for me, as I wouldn't be able to use it. A few months later, I received the same shirt for Christmas from my mom, and it still didn't fit. That's good. Okay, worst gift I ever received for Christmas one year, I received rocks. Literally, rocks. I used to collect geodes, so my aunt and uncle decided to get me rocks. Except there was nothing special about the ones I received. They were just the little ones you find in people's yards. <laughs> okay, my last one. My Dutch uncle, now, my uncle who was Dutch, I don't, they, not like they were splitting Christmas. My, my Dutch uncle got everyone the first letter of their name in chocolate for Christmas because that's big in Holland. And he presented me with mine and said, here you go, J for Georgia. <laughs> my name isn't Georgia, and my uncle doesn't even know my name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got trauma for Christmas. That's what you got. That was the worst gift ever given. So your uncle doesn't even know who you are. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know what the worst gift that you've ever received uh, for Christmas might be, but I really want to focus on the greatest gift as we launch our Christmas series. There's a lot happening in December, but if there's one thing that we could focus in on, it would be the greatest gift we have ever received for all people in all the world that is Jesus Christ. And though maybe your grandma might have sent you a reason for the season card, and it's got a little picture of baby Jesus in there around the manger, and you're like, great, yeah, yeah, reason for the season. But can I tell you, that is actually true. That the reason that we're in this season is Jesus Christ. He's the greatest gift. And what we celebrate on Christmas is the birth of Jesus. Now, inevitably, every year, stay with me, every year, someone sends me an email saying, did you know Jesus wasn't born on Christmas? This is a pagan holiday. And can I tell you right now, I don't read those. I just delete them. So don't even send me emails like that. Like, the end of the world's coming. This leader's rising up. No, <laughs> delete. <laughs> don't send me those emails. I don't read them. Attention, ministers, the great wave is <laughs> delete. So if you thought I'm in my office reading these going like, wow, I'm so thankful for this person that's never been to the church sending me a prophecy, I need you to know I will never read it. 
ever, ever, never once will I read it. Unless it's really funny, then I print it off and give it to the staff. <laughs> that might not be what you want. Um, <laughs> all that to say, I know there's somebody who said Jesus wasn't born on, you know, the December 25th, or maybe he wasn't. But why do we celebrate it? So I just wanted to real quick before we jump into a Christmas series, just to preface this, to say why are we going to celebrate that Christmas is the time that, that Jesus came and was born? Well, I think we'd have to understand a little bit of when Christianity, when Christianity began, there wasn't really national holidays. Like, really? Yes, because when your religion is illegal, the nation doesn't make you a lot of days off, right? Not a lot of banking days for a, a religion that you want to completely wipe out. So Christianity was illegal. So if you're part of a religion that's illegal and you're part of a um, society that doesn't have a lot of days off, maybe a lot of you are um, slaves, then you kind of have to celebrate when you can, right? And so a lot of Christian tradition are born out of co-opting uh, things for other purposes. Like a lot of our early hymns are old drinking songs, right? Because it's like, well, all the guys are singing. Let's just slide Jesus in there, right? Let's kind of redirect. And that is a lot of our church history is like these things that are pointing to earthly motives, these things that are pointing to earthly fulfillment, and then Christians going, well, actually, God is a greater fulfillment. So when we look at, okay, why, why Christmas? Why December? Why? There's a couple reasons. One, the Talmud tells us that the Jewish people had a festival of, and I know I'm going to butcher this, Saturnura. That's, I think that's really what it's called. And it's eight days before the winter solstice. And it was a festival. Saturn has a really unique place in the heavens and in our understanding of authority. Um, we'll talk about it in a second. But there eventually became this pagan festival called Saturnalia, you may or may not have heard of. And a lot of times when people get mad about Christians celebrating Christmas, they're like, this is Saturnalia, the tree is pagan, this is pagan, this is pagan, all of this is pagan. To which I want to tell you, do you know God made it first, right? Before trees became pagan, they belonged to the Creator. They're His, right? Like, before sheep were sacrificed, it's all, it's all his, it belongs to him. So, like, sometimes you got to take it back and be like, oh, no, 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 you don't worship the tree, you worship God who made it. So, Saturnalia was this festival after the god of Saturn, who was often considered the pre-Roman king of Italy um, in a spiritual sense, right? He was, and we talked about this, about nations and authorities and all this kind of crazy stuff before. But Saturnalia went December 17th to December 23rd. So if you're following along, what day is Christmas Eve? December 23rd. You can say it louder. It's okay. Don't worry. Yay, there we go. Thank you, wife. <laughs> <laughs> December 24th. So in Saturnalia, the roles were reversed. Slaves could act like masters. Now that might sound like, oh, that's kind of interesting. That is pretty groundbreaking stuff. Hey, there's a week, slaves, where you can eat whatever you want. You can sleep with it, whoever you want. You don't have to go to work. You can do whatever you want. Guess what they would have done? Whatever they want, right? So there's a ton of debauchery. There's a, all, all kinds of stuff in trying to be uh, fulfilled. They would crown a king of Saturnalia. They would give gifts on Saturnalia. There was a lot of these elements to recognize this kind of time of feasting, eating, drinking, dancing, but really looking at Saturn and this god in uh, Greek and Roman culture. So then why do we celebrate Christmas, like, right at the end of this thing? That seems a little weird. Well, one of the reasons is because in the 4th century, the Pope said so. 
He was like, the 25th is Christmas, but one of the greater reasons is because there's a clear and consistent message of, listen, all this feasting, all this focus, all this earthly, now let's point it to what it's really about, right? Think about this. Yeah, um, the Pope, when he, when he declared it, you know, in the 4th century, he was trying to create an alternative to Saturnalia when, you know, there was kind of this idea like, okay, maybe Jesus died on the anniversary of his conception, March 25th, and so that would mean his birth was December 25th, and there's kind of all this stuff thrown around, but I think when we look at what God is constantly doing in restoring people, he's taking this, this, this holiday that was meant to celebrate the sun god, that was all about debauchery, that was all about the self, and he's saying, no, no, there's actually way more to life. There's more than just a week for slaves to find freedom. There is eternal freedom from your slavery to sin and death. Look, there's more than just the gift of a present. There's the gift of hope and healing for every life. There's the gift of hope for every future and healing for every past that comes from Jesus Christ. There's more than just a tree to symbolize life. There's him who was crucified on the tree, who is the tree of life, who is the constant source of eternal life. There's more. There's more than just the lights. The lights point the light of life really is Jesus Christ. He's the light for all eternity. Are you with me? And so we celebrate on this day that there is a greater gift than just food, drink, sex, money, power. There's more. There's more. There's greater. Sorry, Patrick was walking down looking at me really intent. I thought he was going to say something. What's up, man? How you doing? Good. Okay, good. <laughs> And so I want to talk about that more. I want to talk about why there is more. And today I want to look at Matthew chapter 2. I want to look at Christmas just a, a little different. And rather than look at the gift, I know the series is called The Greatest Gift, but rather than looking at the gift we receive first, I want to look at gifts that were given to Christ as a way to better understand Him and the gift that He is for us. Can we do that today? Good. Okay. Awesome. Let's read together. If you brought your Bible, go to Matthew 2 verse 1. And we're going to read this whole story, and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about the wise men, the magi. Okay, Matthew 2. Are you with me? You still with me? Say amen. Amen. Okay, here it is. Matthew 2, verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. Remember that phrase, Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 3 says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief of priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And here's what the prophet says. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will, be my who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7 says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Hmm... Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose uh, went where the child was. And they saw the star. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
It says, verse 11, And going into the house, they saw the child, this is Jesus, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. It says that opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And verse 12, finally, says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. Okay, I'm a little warm, so hold on a second. There we go. It'll stay there. Don't trip on it, worship team. <laughs> okay, so gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These wise men come. They present these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so I want to talk. Now, all of these gifts are a symbolism of God's authority and his reign and his rule. But I kind of like how each one points to a specific facet of the gift of Jesus Christ. So today, I want to talk about gold, and I want to talk about kingship. Can someone say kingship? Yeah, one of the craziest things that happened, what was that, last year? It feels like an eternity ago. Kanye comes out with an album, Jesus is King, right? Who saw, none of you saw that coming, right? <laughs> Right? Jesus is king. And that, that's what we're looking at today uh, with gold. But the question is kind of, who are these guys, right, these wise men? What are they looking for? And how are they looking for it? Where did, why did they come to this moment, this place? What is leading them to this space? So I'm going to look at it a little bit here because I want us to understand the wise men together. Uh, first and foremost, uh, there was likely more than three wise men. How do we know that? Well, uh, if three people show up to a city, that's not that much cause for a ruckus. And we know that there was quite uh, a lot of noise. But also, it would have been unlikely that, that three wealthy people would have made such a perilous journey alone. Meaning, like, to go on a journey in the ancient Near East was not like getting on a plane. I know we're like, man, it's so much work now. You got to, like, go through the x-ray and strip down and throw your bag in the fire or whatever it takes now to get on a plane, <laughs> get the COVID test, give them part of your brain, whatever it takes to get on this airplane so I can go to Hawaii. But it was a lot more treacherous, right, in the ancient Near East. Um, and it's a lot more treacherous if you're going with a ton of money, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. You're going with a lot of wealth. Right? So just imagine the treachery as if today you decided to take all the money from your bank account, get in a car, and drive to Argentina. You're like, I'm going to hit every country along the way. Just imagine how that would go. <laughs> right? You might take a couple people with you, maybe an army. Right? And so there's a decent amount of people, but these wise men who are traveling, likely from Persia and other nations, were... Um, and again, this is where terminology gets a little hard because they would be classically termed astrologers, but they would be more scientifically understood as astronomers, meaning they observed the order of the universe by the stars and understood its grandiose and powerful projection of what was happening. So uh, now we kind of use the term astrologer to mean like horoscope, right? I don't know if you guys have read your horoscope recently, um, like in the local newspaper. Someone recently told me I was a cancer, and that felt offensive to me. Um, <laughs> I was like, this is mean-spirited. But uh, I looked at my horoscope, and the very first line of my horoscope, guys, listen, listen. This is powerful here. I was told in my horoscope, you may find travel rejuvenating. <laughs> and I just want to write to whoever made this horoscope and say, have you heard of COVID. <laughs> like, where would I go? <laughs> like, 
go lock down in California. I could go lock down in New Mexico. It's like, who knows? Sounds rejuvenating. Apparently, also, my lucky color is bottle green. If you know what bottle green is, please tell me, because apparently it's lucky for me. And my good numbers are six and eight. I don't know what that means, but I have a six-year-old, and I can tell you six is not lucky. <laughs> Again, if you're super into horoscopes, I'm not trying to offend you. I just don't understand it at all. But to be fair, there's lots of things I don't understand, like how cars work and women and other things. So, you know, don't be that upset at me. I'm just saying this to say that the understanding of um, the ancient Near East and the ordering of the universe was a, a greater scientific sense in that they, they, they would try to follow the order of what was happening and uh, understand how it might signify important events. And often these would relay in culture in powerful ways. Uh, for example, 44 BC, when Julius Caesar dies, there was a nova that appeared in the sky, right, uh, like a star. And so all of a sudden, stars became very popular. People would wear stars, like, on their clothing. Wealthy people would wear stars um, in a good way on their clothing to symbolize, like, power, and they were powerful people. And throughout the ancient Near East, Bursts of extraordinary savior-type figures were really believed to coincide with these astral phenomenon. So there was people that would observe the stars, observe the universe, because they believed that these kind of powerful, significant moments of especially savior-type figures would occur at these astral phenomenon, things happening in the heavens. Well, the question is, what astral phenomenon did they see? And was it just them? Right? We know from Scripture they came, but was anyone else aware? And what's interesting is as, as you research what was happening at the time, at the time of the life of Jesus, there was actually a lot of people who were in this unique perspective of believing that out of Judea was going to come a, a world dominion. That they were expecting a phenomenon of a shifting of global power and authority to come out of Judea. And there's a lot of uh, leaders at that time who tried to capitalize on this kind of prophetic or belief or, you know, uh, um, you know, astronomer understanding of what was happening. So it's not just, I mean, we have it in Jewish uh, historians, but also in Roman historians, this understanding that something was happening. There was a power coming out of Judea, and uh, there's, you know, at least one emperor that capitalized on this as a way to gain power. But I say that to say that it was globally, in the sense of the globe at the time, it was world known that something was happening. Not just biblically, but historically. So the question is, what did they see? Star? Was it an angel, right? Hovering over, leading the way? Was it a UFO? Come on, UFO people. <laughs> You're like, wait, I'm supposed to clap? You're good with No, we're not good with that. It's not a UFO. <laughs> what was it? Some people say, well, maybe it was Halley's Comet, because Halley's Comet in 11 BC is, is recorded, and that would have been a powerful visual. But often what is considered the, the Christmas star is a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, meaning they're passing uh, in front, behind, passing very near to each other in a way that's witnessable from Earth. Uh, in fact, we know from um, a—let me make sure um, I know the right name, not like it's going to matter, but an observatory in Sippar in Babylon, there's a cuneiform inscription that says in 7 BC began this constant and, and ever-passing conjunction of uh, Saturn and Jupiter uh, 
in the area of the sky known as Pisces. You're like, why does this matter at all? Well, because at the time it would have mattered a ton because Pisces symbolically marked the end of the sun's old course and the beginning of new. Pisces is a part of the heavens, right? It's a part of the sky where things are. It marked the end of the sun's old course and the beginning of the new. And Jupiter, this conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, Jupiter was considered the royal planet and Saturn had long been uh, a symbol of Israel, of Judea. And so this conjunction that gives the impression of a bright star occurred in that year. What's interesting is actually this year, on December 21st, 45 minutes after sunset, you can see this conjunction. It's the only time it's going to happen, which probably doesn't bode well for 2020 now that I think about it. Um, (laughs) Send that thing back with the monolith, (laughs) wherever that thing ended up. Um, it's uh, going to be in conjunction together, which will be pretty interesting. And you can go out. I think it's like 45 minutes after sunset. They say it's like going to be the brightest that it possibly is. But you'll see it. And I think the next time you can see it, it's like 2080. So Lord knows if we'll even be here by then. But uh, you can actually go witness this. And this is what they were saying. So what would that have meant to them? For us, we're like, that's really bright. Maybe it's a planet. No, it's a planet. It looks nice. But to them, it would have meant, to competent astronomers, it would have meant that a new age was beginning and that the sovereignty of the world was shifting to Judea, which would have been a big deal at the time, especially to the Roman Empire. Um, Because usually when you're an empire, you don't want power to shift uh, somewhere else, just as a rule of thumb. Uh, And so it would have meant there was a shift happening. And so the Magi say, okay, we need to go to Judea where the shift is happening. And so the Magi come, the wise men come to Jerusalem, which at the time is the capital being ruled over by Herod. And they ask Herod, hey, um, where is this person who is going to shift the power? And Herod's like, wait, what? Look at what happens, Matthew 2, 2. It says this. They came from the east of Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Have you ever been asked a question that's not a question? It's like your mom asks you, who did this? She's not actually asking you who did this. She's giving you a chance to say the right thing, right? This is one of those moments. Where is the king who has been born king of the Jews? That's different. That's different than saying, where is the one who has been born to be king of the Jews? Those would be different things. One would imply some kind of inauguration, that he would become king or step into it. What they said implies that he is, meaning it's not up to Herod whether or not this person is king of the Jews. Which, if you are the king of the Jews, of which Herod was, that might be upsetting to you. Right? Imagine imagine going to a king and being like, hey, where's the real king? (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, what? And I I think this is an interesting thing. We begin to see a contrast. One of my favorite things as we look at the kingship of Christ is the contrast of Herod and Jesus. Herod is this powerful ruler. Uh, Herod is known as one of the few rulers to actually bring peace to Palestine. Well, that's a thing in itself. He rebuilds the temple. But the last nine years of his reign are basically marked as being a tyrant. So at first, I think 24 were great. Last nine, not super awesome. A lot of war, execution, clashes with Rome, political intrigue. And so the wise men coming to Herod in this moment, in this sense of a a tyrant sense, say, where is the ruler who's going to take all authority? Where is the king of the Jews? And Herod is troubled. 
meaning he is deeply concerned and afraid. He is shaken that the universe is saying someone's in charge and it's not you. And it says the people of Jerusalem were afraid. Why would the people of Jerusalem be afraid? They're not king. Well, because when someone's a tyrant, they don't just go on vacation when they're mad. They make your life worse. And so we know later in Scripture that he's going to kill all children, male children under two. That's his goal in Bethlehem. Just kill, kill all of them to make sure we get Jesus, which goes back to what we talked about in Angels and Demons, that a constant ploy of the enemy is to kill children. Find where children are being killed, and you will find the enemy. And so he begins on this process. And here's what it says he did in Matthew 2, 4. It says, he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he acquired, inquired of them where Christ was to be born. So they're like, hey, where is the king of the Jews? And he's like, oh, they, Rome chose me for this. I don't, I don't know. He's like, let's go ask the Jewish people. So they bring in the scribes and the priests. And this is the most mind-blowing thing for me. He asks them, where, where is he going to be born? And they go, oh, we know. I'm sorry, what? Have you thought about that? Like, they, they don't say, like, man, we have no idea. We've been looking for thousands of years, right? Like, we have no idea how he's going to come. They're like, oh, yeah, we know. Here's what they say. In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets, very confident, you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They say, oh, yeah, we know exactly where he is. Can you think about that? That the Jewish people had all of the knowledge, but none of the wisdom in that moment. Because Jesus came in a way, and in a moment that was so counter to the way they anticipated him to come. Isn't that so funny? That often we will cry out for God to reveal himself in our situation, and when he does, we go, no, 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 I wanted it this way. So I'm not going to accept how it is. Think about this. All of the universe is like... Bethlehem. Like, literally, people who know nothing, nothing about Jewish, they, they don't know or else they wouldn't have asked. They don't know it. They don't know. They, they know from historical suggestion or, or, or connections or the standard prophecy. All they know is that all the universe has said, somebody's rising up in Judea who's going to shift the universe and the world. And they go to the Jewish people and they're like, ah, probably not connected. That's probably, that has nothing to do with us. Right? Wouldn't you think the response naturally would be like, let's go? Like, you know, like, you would be fired up. Like, we all got to go. We all got to find it. But that's not what it says. So they don't, they don't even lift a sandal. They're just like, this is where he is. And yet all of heaven, look, Bethlehem, look, something's happening. It's rising up. Literally planets, right? This isn't like your standard birth announcement. This is not Tiffany out in the field with one of these poppers, like, it's a boy, right, lighting half of California on fire and burning the earth into the ground so you can tell us about Bradolin or whatever child's born now, right? This is literally planets crossing each other in, in the sky. They're like, something is happening, right? But isn't that crazy? How when God reveals himself, if our minds and our hearts are in rebellion to him, how quickly we can just skip right over it and move on from it and miss it. How is it that they had all of the scripture, but none of the wisdom to recognize this moment? And then I look at myself and I think, oh, that's why. Because we're human. And often God will be revealing himself in powerful ways. But if it doesn't look like it's, I think it's supposed to look, I will just naturally be like, ah, oh, that can't be it. That can't be it. God will give you anything. What about this? That can't be him. 
That's probably my pastor or something saying that. That can't be him. That can't be you, right, God? Like listening. He's revealing himself. But the wise men get it. They understand what is happening in some aspect. They understand that a shift is taking place. And so they go and they begin to worship Christ as the king. And they bring him gold. They bring him this symbol of power and authority, of kingship, to bring gold before the king, to worship before the king. And it begins to speak to us about who Jesus is and that Jesus is our king. He comes as a baby, but he comes as the king. Not to become a king, but as the king. So there's a few things I want to tell you about Jesus today when it comes to him being the king. One, if you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus is the king promised by God. Important words here. Jesus is the king, meaning he has authority, power. Promised, meaning this is not a last chance effort. By God, meaning a bunch of people didn't make this up. This comes from the Lord. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God has promised. Micah 5.2. Micah prophesies this seven centuries earlier. Seven centuries. It says, but oh, but you, O Bethlehem. It says, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel who's coming forth is from old, from ancient days. I love that, from ancient days. Meaning, not only in Micah was it prophesied that Jesus would come, but you called it back to Abraham, right? I'm going to bring up a generation from you who's going to come one who's going to bring all people. You know that's how we're called Banner Church? Because out of the root of Jesse will come a banner that will bring all nations and all people together that is Jesus Christ. Right in John 12, 32, he says, when I'm lifted up, I'm bringing all people to myself. And we're like, yes, yes, Lord. But we could go even farther back. Do you guys remember? I don't know if you remember in our Angels and Demons series, we talked about Eve. And in the moment where God looks at Eve, she's like, we're going to put enmity between you and Satan, and you're going to bring forth a child that's going to come through Eve. There's going to be a child, and the snake is going to bite your heel, but he is going to crush his head. All the way back in the very beginning, God promised this. There's going to come a king who restore, renew, and break free my people. Jesus is that king. And I think this is so important because sometimes I think we, we view Jesus as this kind of solution to a problem. Like, oh, God had to send Jesus. No, God, God chose from the beginning to send Christ for us. He is a fulfillment of a millennia of promises, which means if God promised it in your life and God promised it in Scripture, he will do it. He is not limited. He is not restrained. If God sent a, a Savior who can rescue your soul and promise to restore your life and lift you up into the resurrection with him, then he can surely do it. If he can save your soul, if he can rescue your life from the pit of sin and shame and death, then he can definitely rescue you today. He can definitely rescue your family. He can definitely rescue you from oppression and depression. He can definitely rescue you out of this season. There is nothing, like the song says, that God cannot do. Because he comes as a child, yes, in a manger, yes, humble, yes, but he is a king. He is the fulfillment of a promise. I used to think it was mind-blowing that the Jewish people missed him, but it's really just heartbreaking if we're honest. Because even today, so many people miss him. I heard someone say that 2,000 years ago, wise men sought to find and worship the king. And today, wise men and women still do. They knew the scriptures, but they missed the message. 
Remember, last week I talked about how spiritual rebellion will turn itself into intellectual darkness and eventually lead into moral decline, right? It leads to the point where they're not just mentally rejecting Jesus, they're trying to kill him and succeed at it, actually. Trying to, that, that's a jump, right? But it's because they're in full rejection of who God has sent. I honestly, it's going to sound crazy, you know, in a sense, don't blame them because what they're seeing is, is heresy, Right? I know we, like, live in this age where it's like, Jesus is such a good teacher. He's got the long hair, and he holds the lamb. But, like, Jesus is straight up bananagrams if he's not Christ, right? Like, I, I, I'm just going to tell you right now, if you encounter anybody who's not Jesus who tells you to drink their blood, freaking bounce so fast. Like, like first dinner, that would have been the last supper, right? <laughs> like, Hey, drink my blood, eat my body. <laughs> Thanks, Nathaniel. I told you nothing good comes out of Bethlehem, right? <laughs> Last Supper. But because he is the king, he symbolically says, listen, my blood will be a sacrifice. It's the promise, right? You've been sacrificing for generations, Israel, these symbolic lambs, but I'm going to be the lamb. My body will be broken, and I will be lifted up, and I will be the king. I am the promise that has come for you. So the wise men recognize all of creation is shouting. All of creation is coming to you saying, look, look at what God is doing. Look at who has come to the earth. Come, and they're like, listen, we need to just go worship this king. We need to go worship him. And Christ receives them, and they bow down, and they worship before him. Can I just tell you today, everyone who seeks Christ today will find him. He will not hide himself from you. He will not leave you lost Everybody who seeks Christ and the hope for your future and the healing from your past will experience a new life in Jesus Christ and all the freedom and all the power that it contains. Amen? Okay, second thing. Are you still with me? Okay. Not only is Jesus the promised king, but Jesus is a victorious king. There's been lots of kings, and heads up, they're all dead. And they're going to stay that way. But Jesus is the victorious king. Herod comes from a powerful family. I love this contrast, Herod and Jesus. Herod comes from a powerful family. He's a powerful man. His family is very powerful in this time. He builds powerful things. He was a great builder. Um, what I think is interesting is he's inaugurated by one of the most powerful kingdoms in the world. As a world power, they, they were it, right? Rome. He's inaugurated. He's inaugurated at 33 as by the power of this world to rule, to rule over the Jews. Then we have Jesus, right, born in a, in a manger to, to a virgin, born in obscurity, in, in a sense, born in humility, born in, not, not of a great name, but he is the great name, right? And he, and he raises up as, as a perfect child. He goes to the cross. He takes our sin and shame. He dies. When do you think, if you think about this, Herod, inaugurated by the power of this world to be an authority over the Jews at 33, when did Jesus die for us? 33. Jesus rises to power, so to speak, out of the resurrection from the grave, to sit at the right hand of God in all power, having defeated the ruler of this world at 33. I love the sense of humor that God has, right? Like the scourge of the Jewish people, 33, he's in power. He's like, well, I'm going to send another 33-year-old who's going to just get rid of all of this, right? And he raises up into power in victory. And I love that about Christ. There's a difference here between the powers of the, of the world and the ruler of the world and the enemy and the eternal power of our victorious king. 
John 12, 31 says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The ruler of this world, Satan, wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus Christ, when he's lifted up by his sacrifice on the cross, when he's lifted up in the resurrection from the grave, invites us to live in his victory. He might be the first king to ever do that. Make royalty out of what could be his subjects. To say, listen, come up with me in the resurrection. So, I mean, to us, like, we have a really high sense of self, but at the time, that would have been mind-blowing, right? Like, we live in a postmodern age. We're already God already, so, like, what's another one, right? But at the time, it would have been mind-blowing to be like, wait a second, I'm in error with a victory. He's like, no, yeah, come up with me in the resurrection to life, to freedom, to power, Right? So often we think we're, we're saved by Jesus who just like skated by. And so like we hope to crawl our way onto the throne and prove to him that we're worthy. And he's like, no, 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 come on, man. You're co-heirs with me. We are victorious together. I am in authority and power. Ephesians 1.19 says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, meaning God's, towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And look at where he put him. Seated him at his right hand, the place of power in the heavenly places. Far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. I love this. We serve a king who is victorious who sits above every ruler, every power, every authority, every dominion, everything that was, everything that will be to come. There is nothing we face in this world that Christ does not already have victory over. There is nothing you're facing right now in your life that Christ is not already sitting in victory over the top and can bring you victory through his resurrection. Amen? Yes, the half clap. That's good. <laughs> I love in Revelation 19, it tells us that when Christ returns, written on his robe, it's going to say, King of kings and Lord of lords. The wise men say, this king is going to bring a new age out of Judea. And people think all power. They think all military. But can I ask you, who's a greater enemy, Rome or Satan? Because Rome's gone. I mean, the city's there. They have a half-decent soccer team. <laughs> But then, you know, that's, it's long past. Satan's still trying to reside in power. But Christ has ultimate victory. His kingdom cannot end, will not end, cannot be destroyed, will not be destroyed. It's everlasting. And when we walk with him, it says that we are co-heirs with Christ, with him. Not from him, with him. So we also sit in that place of victory with him, not only now, but for all eternity. Daniel 7. I love uh, the book of Daniel. I think it is just so uh, descriptive of how we can live in a, in a Babylonian sense, in the sense that we live in a, in a place in an age that doesn't necessarily support the values that we ascribe to, and how we can still be successful, which I think is a good thing to learn in this time. But I love Daniel. And in Daniel 7, 13, it says this. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. 
It says, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. This dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Have you thought about this recently? That as you walk through the season of life, that you walk through supernaturally victorious. That there's still a struggle and a battle, but spiritually, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all those, maybe you've never made this choice, but if you choose to, like the wise men, come before Jesus Christ and lay your heart down. You don't need to bring gold. You just bring a broken heart before him, and you worship him. You are raised up in his victory. What a place to live. Someone asked me the other day, like, how are you doing with everything? I'm like, I mean, doing good. Why? That's a that's a good follow-up question. <laughs> because I'm walking in the victory of Jesus Christ, and I see these are not just natural, but supernatural things. It says, I know the God that conquered death, hell, and the grave. I know that I have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and therefore I am not shaken because I'm a co-heir with Christ. That's the gift that God gives us. Third thing, band, you can come up. Third thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus' kingdom, capital J, brings us eternal peace. Jesus' kingdom brings us eternal peace. Every king has a kingdom, right? If you, don't have a ki if you don't have a kingdom and you call yourself a king, then you're like Jack Sparrow, like a pirate without a boat, right? It doesn't work. It's indicative. It's in the name. <laughs> kingdom. Every king has a kingdom. Christ has a kingdom. I think it's interesting. The wise men come. They ask Herod, who is born king of the Jews? Where is he? We want to find him. We want to find who this is. And the time that this phrase is most aptly used again is actually at Christ's crucifixion when he's declared king of the Jews. And um, the Jews have a problem with that because they're like, we don't want you to do this. And I think it's this amazing moment when he's brought to Pilate. You know, Jesus is always this great contrasting um, person compared to the rulers of this world. And they literally have no idea what to do with him because he just has like so much... Um, supernatural confidence, probably because he's the son of God. Um, <laughs> but there's this moment with Pilate. It says, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not have been delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? This is where I love Jesus. Jesus just, he'd be impossible to argue with. I feel for his brothers. Like, stop answering my question with a question. <laughs> but he says, it's really powerful. He says, you say that I'm a king. He gives this clarifying statement. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. For this purpose I was born. Not I was born that I might achieve this purpose. I wasn't born that I might become the king of the Jews. I was born the king. That's so different, right? Because you're born a king because of who your father is, right? You're born a king because of the authority of your father, the authority of his father God. So it's for this purpose 
I was born. And my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. Because it was if it was an earthly kingdom, it could be shaken. It could be destroyed. It could be overtaken. And all of the people who are part of my kingdom could be shaken, could be destroyed, could be overtaken. But he says, that's not who I am. And that's not who my kingdom is. Isaiah 9, 6 tells us, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I think Jesus' kingdom might be the only kingdom that can invade somewhere and bring peace. Like probably the only ruler in the history of rulers that can invade somewhere and make everything better, bring complete peace, can bring, bring complete restoration. See, the kingdom of God invaded through Jesus Christ our brokenness on this earth, and he brought complete and total peace through his death and resurrection and inviting us into a relationship with him to be with a wonderful counselor, to have a relationship with a mighty God, to feel restoration through an everlasting father to be secured by the prince of peace to be a part of his kingdom what does his kingdom look like revelation 1 5 tells us it says and from jesus christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his god and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen do you know that Jesus has made us his kingdom, his church, the bride, right? The church is called the bride of Christ. He has made us his kingdom. We are temples of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the spirit that he sent. We are his kingdom. We have received the peace that passes all understanding. We have received the hope that does not fade. We have been given the mercy that knows no bounds. We've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We are received a freedom that goes beyond any freedom on earth, beyond any freedom of, uh, of a temporary earthly festival or moment or holiday. We've received the freedom that has come as his kingdom has come to the earth and his will has been done through Jesus Christ. We have received restoration so that all people can experience a new life in Jesus Christ and the freedom and the power that comes with it as his kingdom. And can I tell you today, when you step in to the relationship of him and his kingdom, you receive that. You walk in that. Jesus is king. He's king. Wise men, they come before him. And I can't imagine this moment because it wasn't immediately at his birth. Based on you know, kind of what we read, it was probably closer to being two, maybe three. So they come to Mary and Joseph. I'm assuming a, a humble home. They were not wealthy. You can look at the homes of the time. And they present this offering before Christ. And they worship him, which is a powerful thing because they were not Jewish. And that was stunning at that time, right? To have somebody from a different people in a different nation come and worship a child, a Jewish child, a subjugated people's child, to come and worship him and to praise him and they brought him a gift of gold to say you are the king we recognize your kingship why because all of heaven is shouting the authority a new age has come a new time has come a new covenant as we would understand it has begun 
But what I love about Jesus Christ is it wasn't just 2,000 years ago. It's today. Everybody who seeks Christ will find him. And you don't have to bring gold. You don't have to bring riches. All that God desires is your heart. That's what he desires. Isn't that amazing? What's amazing is that even if you're a Christ follower and you felt like this week, man, my heart has been many places, but it has not been at the feet of Jesus. Did you know even in this moment as co-heirs with Christ, you can receive the peace and freedom that comes through once again going, no, I'm going to lay it back down. You're like, I'm picking that back up. Oh, man, that's not. Nope. <laughs> I'm going to lay that back down at the feet of Jesus and say, Prince of Peace, would you bring me peace? Would you bring me hope? As I give this to you, I know that the natural outpouring of your kingdom is going to be mighty counselor, king of kings, and a prince of peace in my life. So I'm going to encourage you. Would you stand with me this morning? Our band is going to lead us in a moment. I just invite you to bow your head and close your eyes with me as we close. I've really felt like God is calling us in this moment just to recognize that he is the king of our heart and our life. For those of you, maybe this is something that you have already made that decision. You pursue Christ. You know the hope and healing that comes from him. You've experienced the hope for your future and the healing for your past. But man, there has been so much going on that your heart has not rested in the authority and the victory of Jesus Christ. You feel overwhelmed. You feel exhausted. You feel a little beat down. And you keep trying to do enough to prove your royalty. And God is just asking for the submission of your heart today. Just say, lay it down. Lay it down. The old is gone, the new has come. Lay it down. For those of you today, maybe you have never made that decision to begin a relationship with Jesus, to begin following him. You've never received the hope for your future and the healing for your past. You've never stepped into the miracle of Jesus Christ. You've never experienced the freedom and power of a new life with him. Today, I want to give you that opportunity. And I know, just like the wise men coming, you might not know everything that surrounds all that's happening. But if you know that Christ is king and you desire for him in this moment to begin that relationship and to step in the freedom, know in this moment as you pursue Christ with your life, as you surrender your heart to him, as you give your life to him, that you do receive the hope and healing that comes from him. And as you begin to walk with him in your life, as you begin to follow him in your life, and he begins to reveal more of himself to you, that can I tell you it only gets better and his love only gets greater and the more you know of him the more you discover his goodness and his peace and his mercy but it starts with one yes and that yes is yes God I will surrender my life and I will choose you as my Lord and Savior so I want to pray with that with you this morning if you're watching online or here in person we're going to pray a simple prayer together this morning if you have never or maybe again you need to just say yes to Jesus say yes I'll follow you I need hope and healing this morning. I need a new life. And you're saying, I'm ready to make that decision today. We're told by scripture that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us so that through him, through Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That when you begin to follow Christ, you come under the victory of his blood and your sin and your shame are wiped away and you are no longer subject to that, but you're released in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if your moment is today where you're choosing to be free the relationship in Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you just to lift your hand with me and then put it back down. Thank you. Thank you. 
I want to do this together. For those who have lifted their hand, we want to collectively say a prayer together out loud in a statement of unity. So I want you just to repeat after me, if you would, all believers, loudly and in confidence as to support those who have made this incredible decision this morning. We want to encourage and rejoice over them. But repeat after me. Pray, dear Jesus, thank you for coming to the earth. Thank you for dying for me, for taking my sins and all of my shame upon the cross. And on the third day, rising in victory and inviting me to join in the resurrection. Today, I give you my life and choose to follow you all my days. In your name, amen. Before we close in the band leads us, I just want to pray for you this morning. If you're feeling under the weight, even of the ruler of this world, and you're saying, I want to come under the peace of the authority of the kingdom of God, I just want to pray for you. So if that's you and you're saying, I, I want to come and, and rest in that peace and the prince of peace and the authority of my King Jesus, I want to focus my heart on him in this moment and in this place. If that's you, I just invite you to kind of put your hands out in a receiving posture. I want to pray over you this morning. Jesus, I thank you, God, that you are king, that you are Lord. I thank you that whatever we face in this world today, it is not greater than your authority. It is not greater than you, which means everything that we need to face and walk through trials comes from you. I thank you that you are the God who still bears the scars. God, that Jesus, you chose to retain those and show us that you have suffered. Jesus, that though every other religion tries to falsely tell us to elevate outside of suffering and ignore it in certain ways, that you instead, Jesus, step down and walk through suffering with us, that you stand with us, that we see the scars in your hands and in your feet, and we recognize a Christ who suffers and walks with us and walks with us in the resurrection and in the life. And I pray this morning as we submit our hearts to you and say, God, you are king of my heart and of my life. I pray that the peace that comes through you that passes all understanding will be revealed to the power of the Holy Spirit today. We give it to you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together this morning.